Well, good morning again. Um, again, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, this summer, we've been looking at uh, the parables. We've been looking at the stories that Jesus told. And parables, um, if you're not familiar with them, are these stories that Jesus uses, and they're, they're these heavenly stories, um, these earthly stories, rather, with a, with a heavenly meaning. Uh, Jesus uses stories to teach his disciples, to teach the crowds about his kingdom about how he operates as a king, as we saw last week, and how we are to respond to his rule and his grace in our lives. They're really invitations for us to place ourselves in his stories, to find where we ultimately fit in his big story of redemption. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at two brief parables from Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 44 to 46. They're two very, very short parables that essentially teach the same thing. Uh, And what they teach is this, that the kingdom of heaven is of supreme value. In fact, it's the most valuable thing in the whole world. And because it's so valuable, it's worth everything to have it. Jesus is challenging us this morning to take inventory of our hearts and lives this morning by asking the questions, where is your treasure? What do you value most in this world? What is worth? investing or sacrificing all you have to get. The reality for every one of us here this morning is that we live for, we treasure, we sacrifice for something that we think is going to bring us life or happiness or hope or rest or satisfaction or pleasure or wholeness. So the question that we all need to be wrestling with this morning is how valuable is, is your treasure? So please read with me Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. This is God's word given for his glory and for our good. Hear the word of our Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you that you meet with us in this place. Uh, We pray that you would show up, that you would transform our lives and our hearts with your gospel, that you would soften us to receive the good news of your son, Jesus. Uh, There are many in this room that are hurting, that are frustrated, uh, that can't believe that they are finding themselves in a church this morning. Father, we ask that you would meet with us that you would be with us, and that you would help us to see your goodness and your grace this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Roman gold. Roman gold. We found Roman gold. This was the cry of two British treasure hunters earlier this year. I don't know if if you saw the story. Paul Adams and Andy Sampson are metal detectorists, which is a real job. Uh, And they unearthed 54 golden Roman coins in a field in Suffolk, England, uh, this past January. They couldn't believe it. Andy had found one Roman golden coin nearby before, but nothing like this. So this was an incredible find worth over 300,000 U.S. dollars. So they started envisioning all that they could do with their their newfound treasure. Um, They were going to be paying off mortgages and buying sports cars, buying new clothes, And before they informed the landowner uh, and the proper authorities, they went home and they showed their treasure to a neighbor 
uh, who had been a detectorist for over 40 years and was an archaeologist as well. And once he grabbed hold of them, he told them something they couldn't imagine. These were fake. These weren't genuine Roman coins. Uh, then the neighbor talked to his wife, who worked for the estate of the, for the office of the farm where the coins were discovered, and she remembered that a British TV show earlier that year called The Detectorists uh, had filmed there recently. And they called the production company, and they discovered that all these men found were TV props from a TV show. The crew filmed a reenactment scene where they showed golden Roman coins being buried and then brought to the earth 2,000 years later by a tractor plowing the field. These men were devastated. And that really brings us to our text this morning. Uh, Because we all, if we're honest, know something about investing in the wrong things. Things that look like the real deal. Things that we think truly are our treasure. But then they really don't have the value that we thought they did. They don't return our investment. They disappoint us. They fail us. They let us down. They don't keep their shine and the thrill fades. But Jesus says this morning, through these two parables, there really is one treasure that's worth everything. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you have. So first this morning, we're just going to look at receiving the kingdom. Verse 44 Jesus begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So these are kingdom parables. We need to ask, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? One of my favorite preachers uh, is a pastor named Joe Novenson, and he says it this way. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God through his son to reverse the curse, to address all sin in God's people, and to reverse the effects of the fall over the whole universe. It's the good news of the gospel this morning which is that the one true king and creator of the universe has come. And he reigns over all, even now in this moment. And he is in the business of reversing the effects of the fall, of sin, of brokenness, of rebellion, of death and decay everywhere. And he comes to his throne through losing his power, through giving up everything, through suffering, through dying on a cross to pay for all our sins. And then he defeats death and sin and the devil by coming back to life. And now he is still in that business of making life on earth more like life in heaven. And through his Holy Spirit and through his church, through entering into the darkness, entering into the brokenness, and we bring the healing and the freeing and transforming power of the gospel to bear we tell people that Jesus came to rescue sinners and his enemies, to make us his family, to make us those he loves and delights in. That's what Jesus is talking about this morning when he's talking about this treasure that's hidden in a field. He says that is the treasure. And we need to have two quick asides before we go any further. First, the, the first man stumbles upon the treasure. He just happens upon it. Um, and then the second man is this, this pearl merchant dealer, and he's looking for fine pearls. He's searching and he's searching. What Jesus is showing us and describing in one sense is this is how some people enter God's kingdom. This is how they come to know Jesus as their Savior and their King. Some stumble upon it by a happy accident. They weren't looking. They overlooked the treasure for years maybe. But one day they hear the good news of the gospel and it transforms everything about them. Or... 
some search and search and search for truth. They study religions. They spend their spare time investigating. And after years of searching and studying and pouring through the scripture of going to conferences and attending worship, they see that this king has the most value and they give up everything to follow Jesus. Then we need to see that though these men sell all that they have to buy the field, to buy the pearl, Jesus this morning is not teaching through this parable about how we enter into the kingdom. We don't buy our way in. We said that last week. Uh, The treasure costs too much, and we don't pay our way in, either with our goodness or the authenticity of our efforts. Jesus is the only one who can pay the price, and he does so with his very life. And we receive the gift of his grace and the gospel through admitting our bankruptcy, through admitting that we have nothing to offer him. So this parable this morning is not about entrance into the kingdom. It's about a response to the kingdom. So, what, these, two, these two men, how, why do they receive the kingdom the way they do? Why does the man who stumble across the treasure go in his joy and sell all he has to buy the field? Why does the dealer, when he finds it, the pearl of great value, sell everything he has so that he can have the pearl? The reason is because they properly value this treasure. When they encounter this treasure, they see that everything else that they have pales in comparison to this treasure. This treasure is worth giving up everything they know, everything they value, everything they previously loved and hold precious so that they can have this one thing. So it's not that everything in the world or everything in creation, everything else is worthless. It's that everything else is worth less than this treasure. The cost of having this treasure is not too high for them. In fact, verse 44, after finding the treasure, the man in his joy went and sold all he had. I don't know if you caught that when we, when we read it the first time. Because this man sees the worth of this treasure, that's more valuable than anything in the world, and is worth giving up everything in the world to have it. He doesn't leave in begrudging sadness and frustration going, I have to go sell all I have to get this. I have to go sell all my stuff. I have to give up everything. The text says no. In his joy, he's delighted to. It's the only, it's the, the only and right response. It would be foolish not to. Jesus is saying that this kingdom, his kingdom, is of supreme value and worth. And everything we have, everything we are, everything we hold precious and dear, because in comparison, all the things we value pale in comparison to this treasure. Part of why they sell everything is because they, it, they know that this is the last thing they're ever going to need. This treasure is more valuable. It's more beautiful than anything that they'll need again. So when you see what's offered to you in the gospel, that as a citizen of God's kingdom, where you enter by faith and repentance through belief in Jesus and his finished work for you, you get more forgiveness than you can ever dare dream. You get more strength, you get more righteousness than you could ever hope to attain in this life. All that is true about Jesus, his perfection his holiness, his goodness, his perfect obedience, his perfect love, his power, his grace, his humility, all of that is credited to you. All that's true about Jesus becomes true about you. And because he's united himself to you, 
He covers you with himself, and he refuses to let anything or anyone, including you, tear that apart. You get more power in and through the Holy Spirit than you can imagine. You get an inheritance kept in heaven for you that does not spoil or fade, that never loses its luster. You're given a family. You're, given, you're made a new person. You're given a hope, and you are loved and cherished more than you can ever dare dream. All that and more is yours in Jesus. So is it really worth everything you have? Is it worth selling all you have to hold on to Jesus and him alone? Jesus is encouraging us this morning to think through how we respond to him. How do we value him? But the struggle for for many of us, if we're honest, is that we have great difficulties in receiving the kingdom like Jesus describes here. And why is that? It's because part of it is that we devalue his true treasure and we overvalue false treasure. Another way to say that is that we overestimate the value of our false treasures and we underestimate the value of God's true treasure. We devalue, we underestimate God's kingdom, his his treasure, when we don't give our whole selves, when we don't give everything to him. We may give him the parts that we don't like or the parts that we don't really need anymore. Those are fine. We can give those. But we don't surrender unconditionally, completely, to him and his kingship. But entering into God's kingdom, as David mentioned earlier, it means you give up your kingship of your tiny world and and you place yourself in all that you are wholly under God's rule. Because the reality is, is that there's no, there's no middle ground. Either you're king or trying to be, or he's king. So you see, when the gospel takes over your life, when you embrace that you are loved, and you are accepted, and you're forgiven, not because of anything that you've done or you're going to do, your goodness doesn't get you in, and your badness doesn't keep you out of God's kingdom, but you're loved, and you're accepted, and you're forgiven because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, it changes you. It transforms you. You don't place conditions on your obedience. You're actually willing to give everything up for Jesus. But the problem for us is that we really don't think what Jesus did was that great. We, we underestimate it. And at the same exact time, we overestimate everything else around us. And so we put conditions on our obedience. We say things like this. I'll obey you, God, if this happens. Or if you give me this. Or if you keep this from happening. Or if this really makes sense to me, especially in your Bible. If I get to be happy, if I get to be healthy. Or if if suffering doesn't come to me or the people I care about. Or if this person, if they just really love me, then I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want. If I get this job, if I get this grade, if I get this thing, if you let me keep and hold on to this, then I'll follow you. And so... We hold on to things, revealing that Jesus really isn't worth everything to us because there are some things that we're just not willing to sell to him. So what are those things this morning? You know, Jesus, you can, you can have this, but you, you can't have my image. You can't have my reputation. I need to keep people liking me and wanting me. You can't touch this part of my, my career or my job or my friendships or my relationships. You can't have this part of my family. You can't have this part of my sexuality. You can't have this money of mine. You can't have my comfort. You can't have my ease. You can't have my eyes or my words when it comes to this thing. You can't have my politics. 
What is it this morning? What are the things that we are keeping from Jesus that we say, Jesus, you can't put your hands on this? Because when we keep things from Jesus and we hold on to them, when we don't give all that we have and all that we are to him, we're holding tight to things that are going to fail us, that are going to leave us empty, that are going to disappoint, that are going to fade. They might be good things, but when they are the things that we're holding on to instead of Jesus, we're making them ultimate things because they're the things that we think we need to have in order to be happy and whole and satisfied and approved. Because when we hold tight to these things and we don't release our grip so that we can grab hold of Jesus, we're left empty and wanting and alone. This, this week, uh, Grayson showed me this, this article and told me a story about uh, this man named Paul McLeod who lives in Holly Springs, Mississippi. He ran this place called Graceland 2, which was his home that he transformed into a 24-hour Elvis Presley memorabilia collection and museum. Uh, where he boasted, Paul boasted, that he had millions of dollars worth of Elvis artifacts, all in mint condition. And Paul uh, called himself this, the universes and galaxies and planets and world's ultimate number one Elvis fan. But his sacrifice and his devotion to Elvis and to this museum cost him two marriages. All three of his children wanted nothing to do with him. He had no real friends. And Paul died of a heart attack alone on his front porch. That's a sad picture of a life devoted to nothing. That he gave up everything for Elvis, for his own notoriety, for his own praise, to amass this collection of Elvis memorabilia. And he got nothing in return. He died alone, clinging to things that could not give him the thing that he wanted, that he was really after. So what are we clinging to this morning? What are we overvaluing in our lives that will not return our investment in them? Jesus is inviting us to stop underestimating his value and offer ourselves wholly to him. You know, why would we hold on to what is worthless to not grab hold of what is priceless? So how do we do that this morning? How do we properly value the kingdom of heaven? How do we properly value Jesus, his rule, his reign, and his grace? How do we move from begrudging obedience, putting conditions on our following Jesus, to joyfully selling all that we have to be with him? We said it earlier, we need to turn our hearts and our ears and our lives again and again to the gospel. It's not just the way into the kingdom. It's the way that we grow and mature and become more and more like Jesus. It's the thing that we need all the time. We need to see the lengths that the king would go so that we could be his. That he would give up heaven itself. That he would suffer and die the death of a common criminal on a cross that he didn't deserve because he lived a life of perfect obedience. He always loved God perfectly and his neighbor perfectly. He only did that which his father desired. And after he suffered and he died on the cross, he defeated sin and he defeated death and he assumed his place on the throne in heaven where he sits right now and rules and reigns at this very moment. We need to begin to understand Hebrews 12, 2, that for the joy set before him, 
he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Did you catch it in Hebrews there? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was his joy? What was it that that allowed him to suffer and die? It was you. It was his people. You are his joy. We read it earlier, 1 Peter chapter 2. You are God's special. You are God's treasured possession. We read it together in our call to worship in Psalm 135. It's in Deuteronomy 7 and 14 and 26. It's in Malachi 3.17. It's in Titus 2.14. You have to see that you are God's joy. You, broken person, are his treasured possession. It's only when you see this, it's only when you grasp this, that you begin to let this truth overwhelm you, envelop you, let it sink into your heart. It's only then that you'll turn to God, repenting of what you continually hold on to and release everything from your grip of joy. Because you have the one who treasures you most. When you see that you are his joy, the reason he came to suffer and die, then he will become your joy. God will only become your greatest treasure when you understand that you are his greatest treasure. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We are blown away that you would come after us. We sing that you would give everything away to make a wretch your treasure. And so we ask that you would help us to see that and embrace that now. Uh, Soften and enliven our hearts with your grace and your gospel. We need you. We love you. We thank you that you are here in this place. And we ask that you would meet with us during this meal, that you would change us and transform us. In Jesus' name we come.